Hi, everyone. This is Ron Jolson, and you're listening to the Christian Fellowship Community Forum podcast. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Welcome to the uh, Christian Fellowship Community Forum, session number 21. It's actually hard to believe that we're at number 21. I'm Mark Cool. I'm your host, and I'm pleased to greet all of you from the field in the home office. It is my distinct pleasure uh, to introduce uh, Mark Gurley. I will tell you that he definitely has one of the coolest bio notes of any speaker you'll ever hear because his great-great-grandfather, Dr. Phineas Gurley, we just need more Phineas in the world, by the way, what a great name, was actually Abraham Lincoln's pastor during his presidency. Uh, they met daily to pray and study the Bible, and it led to the two of them drafting a small historical document known as the Emancipation Proclamation. So when Mark gets to stand up and do that, you know, what's one thing nobody knows about me? I hope that's your go-to. Um, Mark began his career with Northwestern Mutual in 1988, uh, which happens to be when I was in kindergarten. And since 2002, he's been advising financial institutions. He has a business admin degree from Calvin University. He has two master's degrees and a doctorate from Primus uh, University of Theology. And his doctorate has an emphasis on financial planning and business leadership. As part of his dissertation, he read a book, or excuse me, wrote a book. He read many books as part of his dissertation, but he wrote a book titled One Person Can Make a Difference. And you can buy One Person Can Make a Difference on Amazon. I've read the book and he's quite talented. Uh, he holds several board of director positions statewide um, in nonprofit organizations in Michigan, as well as one international nonprofit. He is an ordained minister and has led several ministries while uh, being a financial advisor. He was the founder and director of the Healing Rooms in Grand Rapids, where he lives from 2002 to 2009. And for those of you not familiar with Healing Rooms, it's a ministry that brought healing to the sick and injured. In 2013, Mark was knighted. I have not been knighted yet, so maybe you can help fast track me. I doubt they'll knight me, but anyways, he was knighted into the Order of St. John's of Jerusalem, the oldest Christian order in the world, commonly known as the Knights of Malta. And Mark and his wife, Michelle, have two grown children, and just in the past few months, both of their children were married. So congrats uh, to you and Michelle for that. So Mark's topic today is um, what I'm learning and how one person can make a difference, and I know that you'll find his comments very fruitful. So to kick us off this morning, Mark, you know, everybody has a faith story and everyone shares it here. And what I find unique from our meeting about this meeting is that most people were raised in a single denomination. They were Baptist, they were Catholic, they were Lutheran, they were Episcopalian, but your situation uh, was quite unique. And so I'd love for you to kick us off by sharing just a little bit more about your faith journey. Sure. A lot of people ask me, you know, you know, what is your background or, you know, you know, what's your faith? And I always respond, Christian. They go, no, 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 like like denomination. I said, I am an interdenominational mutt. Uh, so I have uh, had experiences in many of the, the, the mainline uh, denominations. Uh, I made a decision for Christ when I was five. I remember doing that. So I've been walking with the Lord for over five decades. And uh, my parents were Episcopalian by background. So for those of you who are not familiar with the Episcopal Church, it's kind of like Catholic light. And, uh, but, but the 
Episcopal Church where I was, where we lived in upstate New York, just north of Albany, uh, my parents had had something going on there that they didn't feel like they could participate. So we were in a non-denominational church in my early years. Then they got a new priest at the Episcopal Church uh, about the time I was starting junior high. So through junior high, I went through the, uh, you know, I, I was actually confirmed in the Episcopal Church in ninth grade. Then starting uh, high school, we moved to uh, Meadville, Pennsylvania, and uh, we just quickly discovered that the Episcopal priest wasn't actually a Christian based on some of his extracurricular activities he was doing in the community. So my parents said, well, we really can't go there. So we spent six months in the Lutheran church and then happened on a Presbyterian church in, the, uh, in town and really enjoyed going there. But my parents really missed that order of mass. So there was a Catholic church literally right down the block from the Presbyterian church. And uh, we had built a relationship with a the priest there. So we went to Sunday school at the Presbyterian church and then we'd walk down the street and go to Catholic mass. And then I ended up at Calvin University in Grand Rapids, which is where I ended up uh, staying and, and making my home. They were Christian Reformed Church background, and they all thought I was like, you know, a cultic because I had had some background that wasn't their own. Uh, and uh, uh, they, they were trying to convince me to become part of the Frozen Chosen. If you're in a Christian Reformed Church, you'll get that joke. Uh, but uh, what ended up happening is they were putting pressure on me to join the church because I would get a tuition deduction as a member of the CRC church at Calvin University. And I just didn't think that was the right reason to join. <clears throat> as it would go six months after graduating, I happened to join a Christian Reformed church. It was a little bit more on the charismatic side. And, <laughs> funny, they didn't give me a tuition uh, reduction. And all I need to say about that, that is money, and you know as being a, an advisor, that money is a quick revealer of the heart. And so uh, as you're working with your clients, you will certainly know where they stand just having conversations about money. That's wild. Well, I want to congratulate you for hitting for the cycle, uh, you know, in denominations. I, I, I think that that was at least four, and then school gave you number five. So that's that's pretty unique. Um, I mentioned earlier in jest uh, that you've been with Northwestern for quite a while, since 1988. And I am curious, uh, you know, in your work life that's not pertaining to your ministries, what attracted you to the career with Northwestern Mutual? Well, that's an interesting story. In 1973, my father bought his first Northwestern Mutual policy from his advisor in what was then the Latham, New York office. Now it's Albany. Uh, because that's where we lived, uh, uh, just north of there. And my dad, in one of his bolder uh, moments of evangelistic fervor, which he generally didn't operate uh, with that, said to his advisor or his agent at the time, well, you know a lot about life insurance. What do you know about life assurance? And his uh, Northwestern agent was going through a divorce at the time, so my father brought him to CBMC, the Christian Businessmen's Committee, meetings and ended up leading his Northwestern Mutual uh, agent to Christ and discipling him. And so when I was graduating from, from Calvin, uh, you know, the typical response that we all have as advisors is, hey, what's up with the kids? What are they doing? And, and uh, uh, my dad's agent found out that I was looking for a sales-driven career and uh, I got introduced to Northwestern Mutual, but rather than flying me to Albany, they flew me to Milwaukee for my interviews because it was closer. 
Uh, and after I got an offer from the Albany office, I walked into the Grand Rapids office and says, you know, I moved going into high school, I moved going into college, I don't want to move again, can I work here? And so I started my career in Grand Rapids. That's awesome. Well, it's certainly been a great, great career. Um, and that's wonderful. I, I like the life assurance line. That's a good one. And um, I know when we got to hang out at Jeff Reader's Ranch um, down by Houston earlier this year, that uh, we you were able to educate us all quite a bit on your prayer journey. And I think that most folks uh, would find it fascinating. And so I would love for you to share a little bit about your prayer journey. Okay. Well, I mean, this could take hours, but I'll do it in a few minutes. Uh, <laughs> okay. Key points to a prayer journey. Die to self, trust God, and listen. Die to self, trust God, and listen. And then the next thing is to realize that prayer is not an order-taking form where you're calling God and saying, hey, help me with this, fix that, that sort of thing. Prayer is no different than a dialogue I'm having with Mark right now. It's a conversation. And so one of the things that I do, uh, and, and I'm doing this both in Northwestern Mutual Network offices on a, uh, on a side basis, on an optional basis when I come out to speak uh, on network offices in the corporate uh, market spaces, is to talk about how do you hear the voice of God? And you're all hearing the voice of God if you're a Christian. You just might not realize it. And there's not a lot of training in our churches. And I can say this, having been in lots of denominations, on how to hear God's voice. But it is a conversation. And once you start to learn to hear His voice, you'll discover that Holy Spirit is the comforter and the guide and the teacher. And He will very much do those things so that you can continue to walk in a path, not only for your own life, I mean, that's really the, the real small piece of it, but so you can walk to advance the kingdom of God everywhere you go. And so I've always looked at my career as a mission field rather than just a place to make money. Now, with that said, I have had two businesses side by side the entire time I've been in this career. One makes me money and the other one takes my money as I've been funding all this ministry all these years. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's wonderful. I think if people didn't get a chance to write that down, I can't recommend strongly enough his uh, Mark's three points. Die to self, trust God, and listen. And I remember um, Jeff Fatides, a lot of folks, dear friends who uh, passed away from brain cancer in New Hampshire, and he always used to say, God's plan's perfect. We just don't like it that way. And I think that's where the listen part comes in. And so, you know, it's fascinating to me that we know that we are all called to prayer. I mean, biblically speaking, scripturally speaking, it's quite clear that um, that communion with God uh, via prayer is, is definitely one of his love languages. But I think for a lot of people, it can become intimidating, whether that's people who were raised in the church and have primarily consumed prayer uh, via just church service led by a minister or priest, etc., or whether it's brand new folks who are joining us today that are just starting their, you know, Christian journey and faith walk. And so since I know we're all called to prayer, what do you think the baby steps, not necessarily just how do you pray, but even the first steps to becoming a person of prayer? Because that's what I would consider you. You're, you're not a person who prays. You are a prayer, praying person, uh, meaning that I think it's just a part of your DNA at this point. Can you help us 
on how we get started to where it just becomes something that we do um, because we don't know life without it versus something we do because we feel like we're supposed to check a box. Yeah, well, First, first Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray continually. And I always wondered, how do you pray continually if you have to like do life, right? I mean, you got other things going on. Uh, but there's a place of being where you're, the state of your heart is present before God. And you know, the Bible does talk about praying in the spirit or speaking in tongues. There's those things that can go on to help keep your spirit man communed with the Holy Spirit. But one of the things, and there's two different aspects to your question. One is, how do you like learn to pray publicly? Uh, and the other is, just how do you learn to pray? And rather than dive into the public side, I just want to talk about your private walk with God and how to pray. And uh, my business coach actually uh, calls it the, uh, the hour of power. Uh, and he says, you pray for 20 minutes in the spirit or worship for 20 minutes. Then you listen for 20 minutes. And then you declare that which you heard and wrote down for 20 minutes. Now, uh, praying for an hour is a challenge in our uh, work schedule. So I sometimes have the half hour power of prayer to, to do 10, 10, and 10 or something of that nature, even 5, 5, and 5. It just depends on, on you know, all the things that are going on in life. I mean, there's emergencies with diaper blowouts if you have little kids. And there's, you know, things that you just can't like that can interrupt your set prayer time. But I have found that if I am in a place of worship or praying in the Spirit, and then I just take some the same amount of time to just sit and listen with a journal, and I've got 30-plus years of journals of things that, that I've written down. Sometimes it's just a, a brain dump because we got a lot of head trash going on that we got to get, get out and, and deal with. But others is you're hearing that small, still voice of Holy Spirit speaking, and you know that you know that that wasn't your idea, but it was really the Holy Spirit speaking to you. There's three voices in your head. So if you think that people have voices in their head are crazy, you're all crazy because we all have three voices in our head. We have our own intellect saying two plus two is four. We, you know, it's just our own thought pattern. Then we have demonic voices. They're the ones who are telling you you're not worthy, you don't measure up, you can't do this. Who do you think you are? You don't have enough ribbons. You know, you can't really, you know, measure up. You're not informed, so you're just no good. All that stuff that goes through your brain. That's all from the pit of hell, and it's demonic, and it's, and it's kind of loud and noisy. And then there's the third voice, which is Holy Spirit. And it's always small. It's always still. He's, he's a gentleman. He's not going to be screaming at you. And it's in those places of listening that you can start sorting out those noisy voices that tell you you don't measure up and start listening to what Holy Spirit has to say and write those things down. And then the next part of that prayer journey is to declare and have conversation around what you just heard to bring that to pass in your life. And that'll probably be the easiest and simplest way to start having a prayer journey. That, well, I mean, I am telling you right now, the concept of, and to your point about the half hour of power, I, I, I think that, um, you know, good is the enemy of great, but perfect is the enemy of great and good. And we can get caught in this um, very uh, earthly view of, well, you know, Mark said an hour or a half an hour. And I, I joke with people that, you know, maybe we'll just start with three minutes each. But the one that I think is so unique, and you said it in your first three points, trust or die to self, trust God and listen on the hour of power, there's pray and there's listen. 
And I think most of us were raised and most of us remain in this theory of, well, I'm not great at praying because I run out of things to say. And nobody's really told us that a huge part of this is listening. And then once you've listened to that still small voice declaring, but I hope everyone caught that you've got three voices in your head. A lot of us rely far too much on number one, our own intellect. We give far too much credit to number two, the demonic voices. You're not good enough. You'll never measure up. Why are you still committing that sin over and over? And I love the idea of the Holy Spirit being a gentleman. And that is, it's not the street preacher from Westboro Baptist standing on the side of the road yelling. And so if I had one takeaway right now, my biggest takeaway, and I mean, this is even an aha from when we had the meeting about this meeting is, is that we need to pray but then we need to get real quiet and listen and that we don't want to necessarily, you know, pray like the Pharisees and just keep talking and talking and talking. You know, we need to die to self-trust God, but then we need to listen. And so that leads me to one of the most fascinating things you all might not know about Mark Gurley, which is another reason I would tell you to buy his Amazon book. There's a forthcoming book too, um, but we won't talk too much about that yet this morning, but it's pretty awesome too. And that is um, your journey around the healing ministry from, from the actual room there in Grand Rapids for seven years to world travels, um, the time with, you know, Ron, as we start to move this into even a corporate setting. And so I think that um, people think that uh, praying for healing is something they did in the Bibles and cast out demons and people forget it's happening today. So what about praying for healing? I think that's a lot of the praying that we all do, is that someone we know is sick or faced with a heck of a situation, and we kind of can sometimes use God as like a break break glass in case of emergency. So how did it come back, or how did it come to be in your life, and what's been um, your experience with it? And I guess a big question that I would have is, you know, how shocked were you when it worked? You know, when you're praying for somebody to gain eyesight with a group of humans and they gain eyesight, like, what does that feel like? Well, it's a it's a pretty unique uh, and fun experience. And I got to tell you that uh, while I like, you know, selling a big life insurance policy, uh, when a blind person gets their eyesight back, it's a pretty uh, amazing and ecstatic uh, experience, to say the least. Uh, and my wife and I have experienced, you know, the, the, the miracles that you see Jesus experiencing. And some of the key to this, and I had been doing uh, healing ministry for probably a, more than a decade by the time I got the revelation I'm going to share with you. But uh, my first experience, my pastor had actually called me out to go pray for a woman who uh, needed some healing. That's all I was told. So it was a lunch hour. I left my office, ran home, grabbed my Bible, got a little vial of oil because I'd seen people annoy people with oil. I figured, okay, well, you know, I, I got to do the stuff. And... Uh, when I went out to visit her, she, he wasn't there yet, my pastor, and she crawled off the couch to open the door and then crawled back onto the couch. And I asked her what was going on, and she said that she had cancer of the thyroid, six months to live. She was mega depressed. She uh, had overdosed on something which caused her to uh, have a potassium deficiency so she couldn't walk. Uh, uh, she went on and on and on, and I had been praying earlier Lord, give me something easy like a hangnail that I know I can do. I, literally, that was my prayer. I mean, I'm, I'm just being transparent. <laughs> and, I'm pretty confident about the yeah, hangnail. So, so I'm thinking, oh, man. So when my pastor showed up, he said uh, he, he's, you know, he was a black Puerto Rican by background. And so he's like, hey, baby, how's it going? 
because uh, the, the Christian Reformed Church I was in was a, a, a multiracial church in the inner city. And I'm just thinking, don't be babying this woman. She is not in the mood. You know, she's in trouble. And uh, I was waiting to watch the master, my pastor, do the healing thing because I just wanted to experience it. And he said to her, Mark's a good young man. I was 25 at the time. Uh, he's going to pray for you. And he bows his head and closes his eyes. And I was scared. Uh, but the power of God hit me. The only way I can describe it is there is a passage in Scripture that talks about the baptism of, of fire. Not the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of fire. And I literally thought my hair had caught fire. I'm starting to try to put it out. because I And, and I'm trying to pray some English prayer you know, about healing. And I started reading scriptures and she starts crying. I mean, it was just a crazy thing. But the end result was uh, the power of God hit me. I'd never experienced that before. And when, it was, when it, I felt this coolness come over me and just the fire leave, I said, what? happened in my mind and I just said to the woman I said I guess you're healed which is maybe not the the, the most uh, protocol for healing ministry but I didn't know what to do I, that's so, anticlimactic there at the end yeah, hey, so, I guess so she I opened my eyes and she looked completely different to me I mean she had a countenance change she looked 15 years younger and she got up and starts dancing around the living room and praising God and she worked in the same building that our agency was in uh, and I saw her a few days later and she said, yeah, she went to her doctor. She walked in the doctor said, first thing, what happened to you? You look different. And she was completely healed of all issues and it was over. And so that was the beginning of my healing ministry journey. And, uh, that takes, takes me to your kind of your next point there, Mark, about praying for healing. What I learned more than a decade or a dozen years later is, there's nowhere in the Bible that it tells us to pray for healing. It does tell us to go to the elders and they will pray, pray a prayer of faith and healing will come. But Jesus didn't instruct his disciples to pray for healing. If you look at Matthew 10, 8, he said, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, cast out, uh, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely receive, freely give. So heal cleanse, raise, and cast out. And that was a command or a commandment, if you will. And so uh, we were maybe in the healing rooms a year or two, and I, I said to the Holy Spirit, I said, how come like 10 to 15% of the people seem to get healing or healed and while we're praying with them, and the rest don't? And he said, because you're asking for something you already have. I was so stunned when I heard that. That's that listening part. You're asking for something you, you already have. And I, I, I'm being dumb. I'm like, what do you mean? He said, Jesus Christ paid the price for healing. By his stripes, you are healed. That's Isaiah 53, 5. He was whipped and beaten on the way to the cross. And that brought healing in the atonement, which is the bread part of communion. And then the shedding of the blood, which is the, the, the cup or the wine part of communion, was the remission and forgiveness of sins. And when I realized that, I took all the all of our team members, we had about 100 volunteers, and I said, stop praying for healing. Start declaring healing. Jesus already paid for it. So speak to the ailment, call it to be made whole, and if there's any demonic stuff, get rid of that. And we went from seeing 10 to 15% of the people healed to 80 to 90% overnight because we started declaring healing rather than just asking for something that Jesus had already done. This healing belongs to us because of what Jesus has done. Well, in that, my takeaway from our time together in Texas, 
uh, when you prayed for Nori, the young man who is with us, and and I think Ron Jolson has has helped uh, us as a as a board and in our Tuesday morning Bible study as well, is this concept of declaring things, and declaring things are a lot different than demanding things, and I think that so many of us are raised in this, what good boys and good girls do is they pray, and it's thought of as like this very meek exercise, right? And so whenever you first, I, I vividly remember like hearing you guys talk about declaring, I'm like, oh, this seems a bit presumptuous <laughs> for the only man who ever walked the earth and didn't sin. But I've, I've now understood the difference between demanding and declaring. And I, I guess that kind of leads to perhaps my last question before we head into breakout rooms. And that is, there's a lot of controversy around, I mean, I'm talking everything from speaking in tongues to laying hands on people and healing, yet here's a guy that I know personally who, who's who's witnessed this and experienced it and been a part of it uh, in your life. And so as we embolden people um, to start declaring and um, to, to praying boldly, how would you, what would you say to people regarding that controversy or that head trash around like, well, yeah, but is this really happening? Am I trying to play God? How would you answer that when it comes to prayers of healing? Well, I, I've basically answered that question by writing a second book, Healing, Deliverance, and Miracles, Understanding the Difference and How to Pray for Each. And after I left the healing rooms uh, for the next call that God had me uh, involved with, I started reflecting back on all the healing that took place and some of it was healing. Some of the healing was a result of demonic stuff being removed and some of it was just a working of a miracle. And if you look in 1 Corinthians 12 where it talks about the gifts of the Spirit, there's gifts of healings, both are plural, and then it's followed by working of miracles. So actually when I was ordained, those were the two ordination pieces that were proclaimed over me for healing and working miracles. And I was like, oh, no pressure. You know, it's like I could have been a pastor. You know, <laughs> that would have been, you know, a little bit more acceptable. But uh, what what I've found is that so much of healing is uh, misunderstood, and people are thinking that, you know, oh, you, you're you're trying to guarantee something. And I go right back to that, you know, uh, looking at the end of uh, Mark chapter sixteen verse or. Uh, chapter 16, verse 18. Part of the Great Commission is these signs will follow those who believe. So as Christians, we call ourselves believers. One of those signs is speaking in tongues. One of those signs is you can even pick up snakes or drink poison and it isn't going to harm you. But one of the key ones, you will lay hands on a sick and they will recover. So the only requirement that you have as a believer to heal the sick is to have a couple hands to lay on people. And you don't even have to do it physically. Uh, you know, I've prayed for people over Zoom calls. I've prayed for people over the phone, and they've been healed in different locations. And it's about exercising your faith. And if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you have enough faith for healing because it only takes faith the size of a mustard seed. When you heard Jesus rebuking the disciples, and, and I'll, I'll close with this last one. When Peter got out of the boat, walked on water, and then he took his eyes off Jesus and fell in, and then Jesus picked him up, stood next to him in the water and said, oh, Peter, you have little faith. And I'm thinking, if this guy just walked on water, and most of us have not done that, uh, what kind of faith do we possibly stand a chance in until I understood that, that, oh, you have little faith was a Jewish idiom at that time. And basically, it's a duration issue, not a content issue. 
It's, oh, Peter, why didn't you stay all the way to me, faith? Why didn't you keep your eyes all the way on me, faith? And so when you're praying for healing, just keep focusing on what Jesus has already accomplished and don't quit. It's a persistence thing. I think most of you who are in this career know a few things about persistence. Yeah. And so one of the reasons why I'm successful in ministry is because of what the Holy Spirit has taught me through this business. I have learned more about my walk with Christ being a financial advisor than by actually having revelation from the Bible because the struggles I've gone through this career, he then has shown me in the Bible and helped me to overcome a whole lot of stuff. And by the way, are we not called to be overcomers, both in this career and in our lives and in our ministries? I absolutely love it. Well, thank you so much. We're going to go into our breakout rooms, and the questions for you all to discuss in your breakout rooms is, what do you think about what you've heard today? Uh, do you have a personal experience regarding praying for healing? And then perhaps most importantly, is there anyone you'd like to pray for from a healing perspective? So we'll be back in 15 minutes, and uh, we'll just do a little bit of wrap-up. So we look forward to doing that wrap-up. But what do you think about what you've heard today? Do you have a personal experience regarding prayer for healing? And is there anyone who would like prayer for healing? So enjoy your breakout rooms. We're back. Is Mr. Gurley with us? I am. <clears throat> Hot darn. Tell us a little bit about what happened in your breakout room. Well, we had uh, some people share some significant healings that they have had uh, in their lifetime uh, and, and deliverances for that matter. Uh, you know, I, I would say life-saving uh, things were, were, were discussed, and that is always uh, fun to hear. One of the things with testimony, you'll see the Greek word translated to testimony, that uh, is often used in the scriptures, and it basically means do it again. So when you give the word of your testimony, the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony basically establishes a pattern for Christ to do it again. So uh, just keep giving testimonies of healing to people, and you'll keep seeing healing in your life and in others. Well, I've got one final question for you, Mark, because you've been super generous with us today. And we always ask people, you know, if they have a, a closing thought, you know, like what, what, if you could, if you could leave us with one thing in two minutes, what would your closing thought be today? Uh, I think Nike had the slogan, just do it. I mean, it's, you just take the risk and, and, and pray for people. Uh, but I would like to pray uh, as a closing thought and take a different direction than just necessarily praying for healing. The Bible says those who uh, bless Israel will be blessed. And as uh, everybody on this call is aware of, we have a conflict uh, in the Middle East. And uh, I don't necessarily trust our government the way I used to. Uh, there's a lot of stupidity mixed in with a little bit of octane boost of communism every now and again. And we need as a country to stand with Israel. So I want to pray for Israel and pray for peace. So Heavenly Father, I just come to you in the name of Yeshua. That's Jesus Christ in Hebrew. And I just declare that there shall be the peace of Jerusalem over all of the IDF uh, forces that are getting ready to be uh, more engaged in war. I also pray for the citizens of Gaza, that if they are under the dictatorship of Hamas, that they have an opportunity to get out and be restored. And Lord, speak to them. Show them who you are. 
We are hearing testimonies all over the world of Muslims seeing you, Christ, in their dreams and in visions. And so we're just asking for that now in, uh, uh, in all of Israel and in the Gaza Strip. And Lord, we're just asking that our nation would do the right thing and stand with Israel and stand with uh, democracy and, and the republic and the things that give freedom to one another. Because there is freedom in Christ. We see it in the scriptures and there's freedom in our constitution and there's freedom in Israel where there is not a lot of freedom in many of the Middle Eastern countries. And so we're just asking for freedom to be advanced and that the Jewish people would be protected during this time where they've been so viciously attacked. And I just uh, ask, Lord, that you would bring healing to the hearts of those who have just had just the horrific happen to them and their family members, whether it's hostage-taking or just the brutal murders. Lord, I ask for healing of the hearts of the Jewish people in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Mark, I can't say thank you enough, and uh, we will be back uh, next month with our forum. For some reason, for the life of me, I cannot uh, remember who we have next month. Philip Sarnicky. Philip Sarnicky. He's like he's like the Ted Turner. He manages half of America's land. Uh, so he's the managing partner to uh, to so many people in the system. He'll do an excellent job. So thanks for coming. Class is dismissed. And thank thank you again, Mark. All right. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for joining us, and for more information, visit our website, www.christianfellowshipcommunity.org. The Christian Fellowship Community is an independent, not-for-profit corporation. CFC is supported by volunteers and through donations from its participants. Neither CFC nor this episode are endorsed by, affiliated with, or promoted by Northwestern Mutual. Listeners of Christian Fellowship Community presentations and any recordings acknowledge that these productions are exclusively owned by CFC and listeners agree to only use for their listening and not to make any use for any commercial reason.